0: Welcome to Cook in the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point through the good times and the bad and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cook in the Books. a year that's been i didn't expect to be doing a podcast a year later well to be honest i didn't feel comfortable in doing a podcast while covid was so predominant in australia i know my friends and family in england are going back into a second lockdown and it hasn't eased for them i feel like now's a good time to be releasing a new season of the podcast hopefully to give some people some inspiration maybe some knowledge and a little bit of education that they can implement in their business and maybe help Moving forward into 2021, that's the whole premise of this podcast series. The first episode is with Banjo from Good Pair Days, who I've known for many years. He was on the podcast, I think he was on season three. He's a great guest. He has phenomenal knowledge in all aspects, from wine bars to cafes to high-end restaurants. And now, obviously, with Good Pair Days, he's almost got a tech-based wine subscription company so he knows about getting businesses online which obviously right now is a great opportunity for 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 restaurants and obviously due to covid we haven't been able to do face-to-face interviews most of these interviews are over the phone so if you could bear with us with the audio the i believe that this is the best content that we've created anyway without further ado he's banjo banjo thanks very much for doing this again second time
1: Real pleasure, mate. It's so good to be here.
0: So listen, this is a this is a different concept. I'm trying to put this together for people to take a bit of you know. It's not about it's not about us effectively, and about your story per se. It's more about just information that people can hopefully take away and take the knowledge and be able to implement something. So it's it's a bit more of a question and answer as opposed to a, a conversation style, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sure.
0: So you know you've worked in restaurants for for forever, but you're not in the you're not in the industry as much anymore. You you took a bit of a, of a of a of a different approach, which we'll get into. But if you were to open a restaurant now, in this reopening and after these crazy times with COVID, what would you be focusing on?
1: Look, I think there's a an important difference to be made. If if I was opening a restaurant today. I think I'd be focusing on different things to hopefully what would be happening, say, in 12 months from now. So the, the post COVID kind of time, the, the immediately post COVID time, um, is still going to have, you know, all of the COVID issues, social distancing, hygiene, contact tracing, all of these kind of things. So these things are going to be front and center for, uh, for consumers, for guests, and also for operators. I'm, I'm highly confident that, Within twelve, maybe eighteen months, um, you know, a vaccine will have happened, and and things will slowly but surely uh, sort of drift back to how they used to be, a slightly more situation normal. I don't think everything will drift back, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I think, but I mean, to directly to your question, if if you're opening a restaurant right now, there's no two ways about it. It's a tough time. It's a tough time to be doing it, and that's because There are, you know, depending on where you're based in Australia, there are regulations that are against you. There are limitations to what you can do. But probably the most important thing is just the consumer sentiment, how people are feeling. Are people confident to be going out in public into a venue where they know that there's numerous hands touching things that they are then going to put in their mouth? So, you know, that's a complex thing to get your head around and having a really rock solid COVID safe plan that everyone in your team, front and back of house, everyone that's involved is totally across and invested in is super important. I mean, I think we'll talk about the business a little bit more, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, in terms, of, in terms of what you're offering, I don't think you want to shake the boat too much. You want to stick with your strengths, but you just really want to batten down the hatches in terms of costs and expenses. I think it's going to be a time where if you were previously an owner Uh, who wasn't so much an owner-operator, that might have to change. You know, you're going to have to get your hands dirty for the next 12 months. You're going to have to be in there. You're going to have to have really solid oversight. You're going to need to be working in that business to make sure that the next 12 or 18 months, however long it is, um, are really rock solid.
0: I think you're exactly right. And I think... What you're saying about there about your COVID plan, I think you need that is front and foremost the most important thing in your business right now, in my opinion. I think we really need to take it incredibly seriously, follow the guidelines, make sure that all the temperatures check-ins, the the traceability of people, the sanitizing of of where people have been sitting, the hand-washing of staff, the mask, the whole kit and caboodle, as much as it might be uncomfortable, as much as you might want to do it, if you don't do it, and you don't, and you get, and something happens, you're going to be, in, you, you know, it's terrible for society. You don't want to be that person, but it could, you know, the repercussions could be, you know, devastating for you as a business. I think we need to just make sure that the industry knows how important this is. From a small little takeaway to a to a fine dining restaurant, everyone needs to take it as seriously. And This is no joke. This is for real. You know, in my opinion,
1: hundred percent. And I think as well as having that sort of procedural rigor locked in, you know, so you're preventing something happening in the first place. But it actually goes the other way as well. If there are people coming into your business and you've got a really solid setup in terms of, you know, contact tracing, all the staff are being super diligent and super hygienic, that kind of thing adds to your, I guess, your reputation and how people perceive your business. If, if I come into a business and I can see that they're on top of everything, and my friend asked me, how was it You know, going out to that restaurant for the first time in, in so long? You're going to say, wow, you know, it was amazing. The staff was switched on. They were so clean. Everything was being wiped. And they took my name and my number. I felt really safe. And that's a big a big thing. So that's, you know, that's doing some marketing for you, which I think is a big part Absolutely.
0: of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. That is doing marketing for you. Exactly. Like if you do have chefs and it's it's going to be so difficult in these hot environments for chefs working over stoves and whatnot and, you know, sweaty and don't get me wrong the nurses are working in that environment you know it, it's night and day but you know working alongside me but in the kitchen as well it's going to be hot and people are normally tasting and these kind of things mm-hmm. but exactly what you're saying people are, are nervous they're coming to support you they're going to be, have their eyes wide open and if they do see people over touching masks hanging down people not taking it seriously that's going to have a, a, a really bad negative effect upon your business. So I think everyone needs to take that on board and take it really seriously.
1: 100%. Totally agree. For sure.
0: So, you know, your specialty your speciality is, is booze, I guess you would say, right? Wine specifically. Yeah. yeah. But on a, on a business side, you know, what kind of offering would you be looking to do? Would you look be looking to support local, would you be like breweries, local, Uh, wineries and whatnot to keep it Australian? Or what would you be looking to do moving forward? Look, I think
1: at the end of the day, that there's probably no one sort of overarching formula that's going to work for every business out there. I think what you need to do is make sure that your numbers add up in the most professional and um, attractive way possible. So depending on the style of your venue is going to partially dictate that you know what your what your beverage offering is. But you really need to be across your cost of goods. You really need to know your profit margin on every single item that you're selling. And how um how you procure those items, you know, as you say, whether it's from a, a local brewery or a winery or whether you're working with a big distributor. My approach has always been to do to do a blend of all of that. You're always looking for for the best price. You're not trying to screw people but you know that you can speak to a couple of different people who have got the same product and get different prices from them so as a smart operator a smart business owner you need to do the the detective work I guess you'd call it in finding finding the best prices so if that's going direct and speaking to someone and they're going to give you an extra 5% off or if that's going through a wholesaler and you say to them look we're going to we're going to use this um we're going to have this beer on the beer menu for the next six months or something like that. What's the best price you can give us? It's just a constant uh, negotiation I've always found. And that's, you know, that's pretty much true in every business. As you you said at the start, Robbie, I'm not working in a hospitality venue at the moment. Um, but that n- negotiation tactic is something that I employ pretty much every day when when buying wine anyway. So, you know, you just need to be smart and you need to find, you know, find the best deals as it were um, so that you can still offer the product that you want to
0: and what about what about like the layout of the menus or, you know, can you ask for if you're, if you're going to have the pour, you know, you, you might have a champagne that you pour or a, a white or a red that you pour as your house, mm. these kind of things, or, or like the second on the list does better or, you know, the, the cheapest. Or Is there a way you can lay things out to maximize profit?
1: I've never sort of um, taken into consideration the psychological effect of a like a visual layout like that I've always probably believed more that it's down to what is in the selection and the service behind it but I do definitely agree that it is a part of what you're doing I think probably the biggest part is is where you start you know if if your baseline for a glass of wine is $8 or if your baseline for a glass of wine is $12 you know that's a 50% differential that's a that's a big change already and depending on the um, the style of your venue, the mood of your venue, your ideal clientele you know who's coming in anyway you're going to have a great handle on whether people are going to be comfortable to pay eleven or twelve dollars for their cheapest glass of wine or whether you know a seven or eight or nine is more appropriate, but if you're in the kind of place where you know that you can charge eleven dollars or twelve dollars for a glass of wine and and you know maybe your wines by the glass, the spread goes from let's say eleven up to seventeen you know that's a decent enough spread that gives people. A bit of choice. Um, but if you're starting at 11 versus starting at nine or eight, those few dollars are going to add up over the course of a night, over the course of a week, over the course of a month, you know, so it really is a case of every, every little dollar counts. Um, in terms of the physical layout of the list, like I said, I'm not, I'm not sold on the, on the psychological kind of benefits of, you know, putting certain things in certain areas. I think. Overall, it just needs to be super easy to read. People need to be able to find what they want. If they come into your venue and they're looking for a Chardonnay, they need to be able to look at the list and know that, you know, all the Chardonnays are together or, you know, like um, all the all the wines from one country are together. It just needs to be easily laid out. The last thing you want is people having to fight through a confusing selection of things, not being able to, to locate the bottle or the glass that they want.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. And then regard, regarding like volume, like how many bottles you would, would you, would you be bringing that down so you're not holding as much stock or do you, do you know what I mean? Cause if you've got a huge wine list, you look at, you're going to be having a lot of, it's bins, isn't it? If you call them yeah, bins. Yeah. It? You know, you've got a lot of stuff sat in the cellar. Could you look at making that a bit smaller and, and a bit more cost effective for people? So they're not holding as much stock basically.
1: Absolutely. Look, the stock on hand value of a, of a wine cellar in a, in a, a medium sized venue can be a real, a real millstone around your neck. It can be a real heavy chain. It was something that we were always super cognizant of when I was, when I was doing stock take, you know, how much are we holding? You know, how long will that take us to get through if something went wrong? So you, you do need to adopt tactics to hopefully bring down that amount of stock that's sitting there because that's, you know, pure and simple. That is money. Just sitting there, money that you've already spent and that you need to recoup somehow. So absolutely. If you can order twice a week from suppliers as opposed to once, so you've got stock coming in more often and in smaller amounts. If you can bundle up, uh, orders together, if you're, say, if you're going to one supplier and you know that you buy three different wines from them, you know, you put together that, that dozen or two dozen and you buy four bottles of each one as opposed to a dozen of each one. So, you know, rather than ordering a dozen bottles every month, you're ordering three bottles a week or something like that. And you're in communication with that supplier so that you know you're not getting stung for extra freight charges or extra repacking charges or something like that. A bit like um a bit like what we were saying before about, you know, constantly being on the hunt for, for good deals, doing that detective work, doing that negotiation. Now is the time to bring those kind of skills into play. You need to be having conversations with everyone. If you're not already having conversations with your bank and with your landlord, you've got to be doing that. You've got to be having conversations with all of your suppliers saying, look, this is the state of play. We're still in business. We want to stay in business. We still want to work with you. This is what we need to make it work. Um, it, it's, it's very much a case of reducing your overall cost but still being able to offer a fantastic product. The last thing that you want is to make all these mm, cost savings and then you turn around and look at your business and realize that you're not really offering something that's attractive and that people who may have come to your to your venue six months or 12 months ago if they walk in now it looks it looks completely different so you don't want to change the, the look and feel of your venue what you want to do is really bring out the magnifying glass into those back of house operations uh, and set the wheels in motion for some friendly negotiations with everyone that you're dealing with
0: and this is where the skill really sits, right? This is what really this is like really separates great operators. Do you know what I mean? The people who are building relationships with the suppliers, speaking to them, what have you got? Have you got anything on offer? Have you got anything that you need to get rid of that we can all also sh- work? We can work together to help them get rid of stuff. You know, they might have new stuff coming out and they need to get rid of old or whatever it might be. If you communicate with people, you're going to get good deals, exactly like what, what what you're saying, right? And though, I guess as well, you don't need to be scared to run run out of things, right? If you do run out, as long as you've got something that's similar and it gives people an opportunity, you know, we haven't, we haven't got any more of this. Some people might be a bit upset, but but if you've and we've got this, which is very similar, it's from round the corner, you know what I mean? As long as you're on top of that kind of aspect of service as well, I don't think that's the end of the world. It's happened to me many times, many times, probably half a dozen times, <laughs> and it's fine. You're very open, do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. And... I think you hit the nail on the head. As long as you're in clear communication with your guests about that and you have a backup plan and you can, you know, that's the art of service, you know, talking to people, recommendations, you know, being able to suggest something else, more often than not, people will end up happier than if they would had their original choice because they feel like you're offering them something that they wouldn't have otherwise tried. And if they like it, it's a double win. So, yeah, you know, that's that's just um the art of being a, a great front-of-house operator, I think.
0: exactly and then you know there's always that opportunity as well which you know this has happened to me as well on more than one occasion i'll say loads again probably twice but it's a where someone said oh look this is actually a more expensive bottle of wine but we'll do it at the city you know only five or seven dollars or twelve dollars or whatever but we'll do it at the same price because we ran out or whatever and that's turning a negative situation into a positive situation again and people love that kind of kind of service you know
1: Absolutely, yeah. They feel like they're getting a great deal. They're getting a personal suggestion. You then open it for them. They try it. They love it. You know, it it just turns into a almost a special moment. You know, because they they're getting something they haven't had before, and they feel like they're getting a bargain as well. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Energy. If you can create them, you're onto a win, right? You're totally onto a win. And what, like, let's say, for instance, you don't have that much beverage knowledge or you're not, you know, you're more kitchen based or you're more, you know, you maybe you just don't have the beverage knowledge like this or you're not, it, that isn't the way that floats your boat really. Is there any way you can, you know, can you lean on specific companies to come and help you? Is a consultant do, do like wine, uh, distributors? Help you out with writing lists. Is there anyone? Is, is is any of that information out there?
1: Yeah, there is. Look, and th- there's always going to be a spectrum in terms of how much it's going to cost you. You know, there are definitely people who who do act as beverage consultants, uh, and there definitely are companies that are set up for that kind of thing. There are smaller individuals who do it on a case by case basis, as you've mentioned, speaking to wholesalers and distributors. You know, that kind of thing is a great thing to lean on. But before you commit to of spending money with anyone, I think you just need to tap your immediate circle. You need to speak to other friends in the industry. My my belief is that the hospitality industry is one of the greatest for camaraderie and mateship and helping each other out. And I think if the last 6 or 10 kind of months haven't shown that beyond belief, then then nothing has. You know, every every single person who's a small, medium um, venue owner-operator knows what it's like to have that sense of community and others helping each other out. You know that you, you, you can ask questions from your friends. You know that your friends are going to come in and support your venue. You've just got to reach out to that community and say, Hey, this is what we're struggling with at the moment. And if you, if by some chance you don't have that community, then, then, then look for one. Look to join one. Maybe it's a maybe it's a venue in the neighbourhood that you haven't spoken to before, or maybe it's an online forum that you just haven't joined. You can you can reach out and ask some questions. So you know, definitely try and get as much information as you can without paying for it ahead of time before you before you commit to uh, spending money with a professional. Uh, but absolutely, there's, there's plenty of help out there. You just have to you just have to go digging.
0: That's awesome. The forum thing and asking friends and all—exactly. I think that's exactly the way I would look at it as well. And regarding service now, obviously there's going to be a lot of space for waiters, and you know, with the social distancing, um the the sections are going to be larger, not as many people. But how you how do you think that we're going to be at a managed labour cost? Like if we're not doing as many covers, but there's all them people on the books. Do you think you know with JobKeeper and that's reducing? But you, you know, can you see where I'm trying to go with this? I guess the question yeah. is, how are we going to manage keeping the staff with the smaller, the smaller covers? I guess is what I'm saying.
1: It's a really tough one, uh, Robbie. There's no, there's no denying that. I think in my mind, it's a, it's a, a two-part kind of thing. The first part is actually actively managing. The rostered hours of all your staff and ensuring that there's no, there's no wasted hours, making sure that you've got a really robust rostering process. If you're not already using, uh, something and it, like, you know, some sort of application or an online tools, my, my favorite that I've used so far is Deputy. I think it's fantastic. If you're not familiar with Deputy, have a look at it, uh, online. It's a New Zealand based company that have really, uh, done amazing things for, uh shift management and rostering. It's all online. There's an app for it. All your employees can can download it and check in via the app. Uh, you're able to punch in all the um all the rates that you're paying and easily generate reports on how much any given day or week is costing you in labor for that day. So you're really able to get a really uh strong and easy Picture of how much how much you're spending and that just helps you make sure that there's no there's no wasted hours in any given week. So that's the first half. That's of
0: it. So what's that called again,
1: Banjo? What's that called? It's called Deputy D E P U T Y.
0: Yeah, that's that sounds fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're getting the maximum out of the day, right? That's that is awesome. And does that does that organise loading and things like that? So you are not missing them.
1: Things. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. For sure. You you just plug everything in and you know depending on what hour of the day it is that's gonna that's gonna factor that in as well. So super, super useful tool, it takes a lot of the headaches out of um out of rostering and sort of keeping track of how much you're spending. Um so that's you know that's kind of step one. And then step two, which I guess is kind of obvious, but in in this day and age it's just about how you implement it. The one of the best ways to reduce your overall labour cost is obviously to increase your incomings. So um, you know, we might talk a little bit about it later, but I, I feel like now is a good time to kind of mention the, yeah, you sure. know, the, whether it's a pivot or an online offering or something like that. If your venue is restricted to the amount of covers it can do in a certain amount of space and you want to obviously hold on to all of your really important staff, but you know that in any given day, you know, if if every single one of your seats is full and you're hitting your average spends and things like that, if you've mapped that all out and you're knowing that now you can't make enough money basically, then you need to find other avenues to be making money. And you just need to look online, jump on social media, jump online, read some articles to see that some of the brightest minds in the industry, some of the most innovative people are already doing this. You know, the, the obvious stuff is takeaway, delivery, whatever you want. But think outside the box, think about merchandise, think about experiences that you can offer, think about vouchers for down the track, think about, um, you know, cooking at home sessions, thinking about special private dining experiences, you know, special events, you know, one of a kind kind of things that people can't access in any other way. Think about selling every single thing that you buy. If you're a cafe and you're not already selling pre-ground coffee or, or roasted coffee beans for people to take away, then you need to be doing that. Um, I mentioned merchandise. You know, people love merchandise. It's such a such a simple thing. If people have a favorite cafe and all of a sudden you can buy a, a cup or a hat or a jumper or something like that that's nicely designed, I mean, yes, this is going to take time and effort, but at the end of the day, it's going to be another revenue stream for your business that can keep your staff employed and so that's going to help bring down the labor cost because you're increasing your revenue
0: i like, i couldn't agree more i think i've said it time and time again the days of the front door being the only revenue stream to your business if you're a food business mm. that's gone forget that them days are finished moving forward that that's that's history we're now got to look at the future and that is not the answer, like exactly what you're saying. And just to go a bit deeper into that experience is like, you know, if, if you have got one too many chefs or two too many chefs and a few waiters, you know, you can maybe pimp them out, we'll say, it, and you can do private dining at home, right? Send them, the, send them out to places that can go to people's houses, do parties for them, canapé parties, any kind of parties like that. And the one thing that I would also say is, is retail, Mm. the retail market I've seen a lot of people do this. Lelo being a great example, Unchacot being another great example. There's many of them that have done it. Code uh Coda I think have done it as well. Heaps of people have have done it. It brings something to retail. I think that I think that's a fantastic option also.
1: Hundred percent. And you know, it it doesn't as you say, even if it is a retail offering, it doesn't just have to be based within your four walls. Um Obviously everyone's talking about being online at the moment, but that's the most important thing. You know, the number of people you can reach by having, and it's, you know, it's incredibly easy to, to set up a Shopify web page and be able to start selling things online so that people don't even have to come into your venue to buy these things. You know, you've got a retail offering, but it's all online. People are jumping on the website, paying for it. The money's in your bank account. You've just got to post it to them. That's it.
0: the 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 reality is it is a bit daunting you know what I mean but these things these websites and things now they're almost drag and drop like Squarespace or like you say Shopify the setup and their their technology is advancing incredibly fast to to make it more user friendly as well and it shouldn't be as daunting as you think it is you know it, it probably isn't at first everything's a learning curve at first right so you've just got to go through that learning curve but after a while it's fine and coming to retail I think. You know, get a distributor. Hence, why you know it's one of the reasons why we started the distribution business to hopefully support this kind of movement. But I think coming to retail and putting, getting a distributor. And if you're known for whatever it might be, a salt and pepper, a sauce, a a risotto, whatever it might be, there's no reason why you can't package that and start and start selling it as well in retail, right?
1: Hundred percent, You know, you've got a kitchen, you've got a wine cellar, you've got a fridge full of beers or something like that. If you're only allowed to have 10 people in your venue, you know that there's no way that you can sell all of that. So you've got to be able to sell every single thing that you've bought. That's, you know, when you look at it like that, as a business, you're buying all of these products. You need to be able to sell all of those products as well. So just find a way to sell them. Yeah. I
0: think there's, I think it's like, oh, I can't remember. It might even be the health and, We'll sell you everything. Literally, you can buy the bed, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can
1: buy the pillow, <laughs> you can genius. buy the lampshade, yeah. you
0: can buy fucking everything. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. If that's someone amazing. walks into your venue and they say, "I want to buy, I want to buy this table," or "I want to buy this chair," why not sell it to them? You know, sell it, yeah, sell it to them for more yeah, sure. for more than you've you've paid for it. And they can take it home. They can they can jump in their car with a with a chair like happy days. You Can always buy another chair. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly, but then I guess that also takes when you do have the people sat on the the seat in the restaurant. Upselling is also oh, there's a there's a fine line between upselling and pushy or whatever. But I think upselling is also good service. People mix up ups, upselling to good with good service. I think it's one of one of the same almost. To be honest,
1: yeah, it's a it is a fine line, but absolutely, you know, I I certainly know that when I go out for a good time, I want to be sold to. I want people coming to me, telling me things that I should be having. You know, you should try this, taste this, have a glass of this, you know, have some cheese before you have your dessert. You know, it's part of the part of the interaction that you have, part of one of the, the joys of service, I think, um, on, on both sides, you know, whether you're receiving or giving. And it all comes down to the delivery for me. I know what you're saying about... You don't want to come off as too pushy, but um, the, the the professionals, the front of house professionals, make it look easy. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like upselling. It sounds like a, a suggestion. Like why didn't I think of that? Of course, I should have that. You know, right. it just comes down to how how you say it and how you deliver it. Definitely,
0: and I am exactly the same. I, like I'm spewing if I'm if I'm waiting for if I've got to ask, oh, can I get another beer? That like that for me is bad service. Agreed. I would rather be saying... And quite easily. I can say, you know, what I've had enough. I'm driving. I'm, you know, I'm at work. Whatever the whatever it is, I don't want. I'm full. I've 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 had enough. I can quite easily say that, as opposed to having to ask for another beer or ask for another glass of wine or can I see the wine list again? Or it's it's frustrating. I don't like to have an empty glass. When I, you know, what I mean. Not that I'm I'm out to get smashed i don't really want to be sat with an empty glass if i don't if i'm if i'm drinking do you know what i
1: mean percent. that's you know that's why you're going you're going out you're going out to be looked after to be fed to be to be pampered you know you shouldn't have to shouldn't have to want for anything and that's at any level of service it doesn't need to be a fancy restaurant for that you just know that if you've just sat down and you finished your drink and you know it's still you know only halfway through the night you need to be offered something else as you say the the worst that you can say is no thanks. You know, like I won't have another one. That's not a that's not a rejection. That's just that's just how it is. So, absolutely, you need to be offered at all times.
0: So, so where where does that that takes us to training? I guess. So, how do you and staff retention and these kind of things? So, just quickly going over that. Like, how how often are you doing staff training? How would you approach this with your staff? Is it a weekly thing? Is it a constant on the floor? Just got your eyes out saying. You've missed this, you've missed, missed that, or is it like a not on a Friday morning? You 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 go through scenarios, or what? What's the best approach for training? Do you think?
1: Yeah, look, I think um, look, you've touched on a couple of points there in terms of how often you do it. It's it's, it's um it's as often as you can really. If you can do it twice a week, then absolutely go for it. Like it only needs to be a half an hour session. It probably needs a little bit of pre work in order to pull off a. A useful half an hour session. But if you've got a bit of extra time, which, you know, unfortunately, not all of us always have that luxury. But if you, if you've got the time or if one of your managers has got the time or if someone's got an idea on, on something that they want to talk to the rest of the group about, then you need to be doing it as often as you can. Um, I think outside of service is probably the best time to do it. You know, if you see someone doing something wrong in the middle of service, I've found through experience, it's not always the best time to bring that up. Um uh, I would uh, you know, when I was when I was running venues and managing places I would always have a little list on the go and I'd scribble stuff down and I'd know that at the end of the night or the following day we could try and talk about it with people because in the middle of service, you know, you you want your focus to be on the guests. So unless it's a really
0: That's a, point. That's a good that's great and also you can deflate people, right? Agreed. One little comment can deflate someone so easily, yeah. you know And I've made that mistake before, you know, like it-
1: I've definitely I've definitely done that. And it has annoyed a member of staff, and it has totally changed their outlook on the evening. And so, what happens is, and they end up giving bad service for the rest of the night. They walk around with a, a sulk on their face. You know, they're frowning, they're not happy, they really bring the energy down. So, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: which could have been one little simple mistake, which was, you know, and then turned into a full bad night of, con- uh, you know, a catalogue of errors because of that one thing. I think you're exactly right, and uh, you know, bringing it up in a professional manner. And also speaking to the staff, like, you know, how were you feeling yesterday? I, I felt like, you know, you missed a few little things. It's not normally the way you act. You know, it's not normally your style or you know, not mean you're more thorough than that. Is there anything that, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's a better approach these days,
1: to be honest. 100%. Yeah. Look, that, um, I guess, gently, gently style of management as opposed to screaming and yelling of, of yesteryear, you I'm, I'm sure you've worked in kitchens, Robbie, where the, where the screaming approach is the only approach. But, um, I think in these, in these modern times, a slightly gentler approach is not only better for the team culture, but it yields better results. You know, it's, first of all, it's more professional. And second of all, it's actually empathizing with the person who's made the mistake and trying to guide them through a better process so that you get to where you want to be. And I think that plays a big part in in setting the overall energy for the team, you know, establishing team culture, recognizing that everyone makes mistakes. There's not a single person in a single restaurant in the world that's never made a mistake. So, you know, no one goes to work with the intention of making mistakes. They're accidents. You know, it's not a, it's not a deliberate action. So recognizing that upfront and, and saying, look, you know, obviously it was a, a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. We don't want it to happen again. So how can we, how can we go about ensuring that it doesn't? So let's kind of talk through it. Let's work through it. Having that kind of approach, I think, establishes you as a place where people would want to work, a place where people feel valued. Um, you know, and beyond that, you know, in terms of establishing culture, you need to you need to recognise people's desire to further themselves. I think um training and education is a big part of it. You know, why why are people coming to work each day? Yes, some people do just just need a job, but people who work in the hospitality industry, I find, uh have a real love for human interaction, for food, for wine, for culture, and so the more you can educate them about that The more engaged they're going to be as an employee. And then beyond that, you know, start talking to your staff about, about business, about how the business works, about how you can encourage them to improve the business, encourage them to come forward with ideas, you know, talk to them about, about cost of goods and labor costs and rostering and how each of these little decisions has an impact on the business. The best managers that I've known have been the ones that try to I guess erase the imaginary walls that exist between management and non-management. The more that everyone knows about the business, I think the better it is for the business.
0: I agree. And I think you need to to really think about what culture you're trying to create within your business. Like it's it's a, it's a conscious decision. I want to create a friendly, warm environment. I want to create an, a place that people come to get educated. And, what you know, whatever, we're looking to do this. We're looking to achieve this. And then look at yourself and say, how are we going to approach this and how are we going to create this culture? Something that we've really, well, I've really tried to do building City Lada is that to try and create a, a friendly culture that's very, you know, it, it basically, I don't want to go on about me, but it, it's it's something that was in my mind and I've gone out and purposely tried to create that. Do you know what I mean? And then, And I'll check myself sometimes and be like, Maybe you, you should, you know, that wasn't the right way of doing that you, if you're trying to create it's Not, you know, sitting, reflecting at the end of the day, at the end of the week and thinking, was that the right way I approached them kind of things? And you've also got to look at yourself and and, and your business and say, am I giving these people the right tools, the right training? If they are making the mistakes, is it down to me? Is it my fault? Am I, is it, What am I doing to create that as well? And taking some ownership of it from yourself as well.
1: Yeah, look, it's a big it's a big burden to carry when you're a, a small or medium sized business owner, isn't it? You do need to take a lot of that on yourself, but that is that is part and parcel of the responsibility of being being a, a senior manager or being a business owner is that the buck stops with you and at the end of the day you're setting the tone, you're setting the culture, you're the one who has the the biggest impact on the on the feel of the business and you're the one who really gets to decide Um, how, how the energy is within the team. And if you're, if you're not proactively doing things to improve it, then there's every chance that things can go bad. So you, yeah, you need to be across that. You need to have oversight on that. You need to understand people's, um, people's needs and people's desires. And you need to, need to work hard at establishing a baseline for, for culture, I guess. You know, there's,
0: and I guess two last things on this point one is what i did you know just it might help someone is i looked across my whole career and thought when was it when was i the happiest and when was i enjoying work the most and it was you know there was like three or four occasions where i thought i really loved that time in my career It was, i was learning heaps i did it was a really good friendly environment you know whatever i was using fantastic produce whatever it might be these times and then I like I try and reminisce and think how, what was making me feel like that, and then try and adopt that style, like amalgamate that together, and then try and, that try and create that culture moving forward. It's not utopia, and we don't every day is not fucking. We're not all like, saying come by but do you know, but ultimately that's what you're trying to do, and you reflect back and think what made you feel good and what, what, what you've got what the best out of you, and this is how I want my business to feel when people come and work for me. Do you know what I mean? Like. And I think you just need to make them actual, really reflect and think about it. Don't just, or oh, scream at people because I got you know whatever it might be. You've just got to really think about things. I don't know if people think about things enough, in in depth enough, and reflect enough, and really analyse. What do you know what I mean? I think I know. Maybe it's going a bit deep, but no, I, you know, no, no, I think no. people need to think more. Yeah, I think
1: I think you're totally totally on point there. You know, it's um, at the end of the day, you've opened a business, you've set up this. This space, this venue, whatever it is, you're the one employing people. You know, you're you're giving them a job. You're you're teaching them about your business, your ethos, your ideas. If you're not also considering how the uh, how the team interacts with each other, and you know what what potential goals each employee can have, then you're not fostering a sense of care for the people that are working there, and. You know, they should have no reason to stay with you if you're not, if you're not invested in, in their happiness and their growth. You know, the, I, I've heard a few times from people who are really great restaurant owners that one of the biggest mistakes that a hospitality business can, can make is, is, um, is thinking that the happiness of the guests is more important than the happiness of the staff. Because the happiness of the guest doesn't directly affect the happiness of the staff, but the happiness of the staff directly affects the happiness of the guest. So if you're looking after your team, then your team's going to look after your guests.
0: And ultimately, staff retention is just the biggest, you know, that, that takes the biggest headache away from you. If you can keep a team, for, you know, and only one, one, two people leave a year, it's Quite easy to filter these through, and and they get absorbed by the main core of the team, and the training just happens, and everyone shows each other, and these kind of things. It's so much easier if you're churning through staff, and your longest serving person is like less than a year. You're going to be just, you just, you can't build consistency. You're constantly training, and it's just going to drive you into the ground. You can't do it without a, a good strong team. You can't create a big, a good strong team without a good culture. And and that's that's the cycle, basically, in my opinion. Is you you know of an online business, right? And you've moved into into that sector. So you know how how did you go about doing that? And then what you know do, do you do you use uh, Facebook advertisement or what do you use to to generate traffic through that?
1: Yeah. So uh, my my business, Grate where we're uh, we're nearly six years old, and it is a purely online. Uh, wine business um, and I I started doing it because I guess I I wanted to further my my knowledge and my skill set beyond just sort of hospitality businesses it wasn't um, you know it's not something that I've moved into in the last 12 months in the face of everything that's happened uh, to the hospitality sector but by the same token it's not I also wasn't in the position where I was thinking, look, this is going to happen. You know, online is going to be the future kind of thing. I guess um, subconsciously I did think that online would be the future. I just didn't think it would be 2020 the future. I thought it might be, you know, 2030 or 2040 kind of thing. So I think things have definitely accelerated over the past um, over the past 12 months. And we're now in a position where um, – where you need to have an online section of your business, uh, whether it's just a small part or whether it's the whole part. Um, I think, as you said, moving forward, the, the front door is no longer the only, the only source of income. You need to have other, other revenue streams. And definitely being online obviously puts you in front of a much larger audience. I think that's the biggest thing just to recognize at first. when you have a, When you have a restaurant or any sort of venue, you're limited by how many people you can sit within those four walls. Uh, when you have an online business, you're limited by the population, you know, that's it so you've got a a much larger addressable market. In terms of our business how do we go about um, contacting people? Yes, look a lot of the A lot of the money that we spend on advertising does go at the moment to Facebook. So Facebook marketing is a big, big thing. Um, We do spend money on things like Google AdWords, search engine optimization, you know, through Google Analytics. Um, We spend money putting together um, nicely graphically designed social media uh, stories, which basically act as advertisements, so through, through things like Instagram Live um, Instagram stories. Um, we're putting a lot of information and content out there and reaching people. And that's been, that's been super successful. You know, I I would say between, between Facebook and Instagram, there, there definitely are two, two biggest kind of streams. We have a really, really big following on Instagram. We're actually, um, just a few months ago, we became the most followed wine-related account in Australia. Oh, you know,
0: congratulations! So big, That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so bigger than you know, people like Dan Murphy's and stuff like this. But you know, these much, much bigger businesses who are doing millions and millions of dollars in revenue. Um, you know, a, a business like ours just has a bigger following on social media, so we're able to connect with a large amount of people through that um, and. Being across the impact of of those kind of uh, ads and being really up to date with how Facebook marketing works. Um, I think are going to be really, really key tools for savvy business owners moving forward. It's
0: a, it's a must. It really is. And you know, all the information is there. You've got to put the time in, and you've got to make sure you know you've got to, it's all there on YouTube. You just got to watch it and test, watch it and test, practice and make it work. And you can do it yourself. There's no two ways about it. But it, it is good to get someone out there to help you, to teach you to do it. And especially specific people, I think that really helps. Like specifically that. So one that really is, is geared up to do seo or geared up to do facebook marketing or geared up to do you know what i mean as opposed to someone mm. does it all i think is, is also quite beneficial and how do you how do you make sure that the people are getting a great a like great service but without a face-to-face effectively
1: yeah so look at the end of the day your um your website or your app is really the introduction to your business so we spend a lot of time and money uh investing in making sure that the the website first of all looks really beautiful so that's down to you know font selection color selection layout the general term for it in the online world is ux which is user experience so what kind of experience do people have when they come to your website how uh, how easy is it for them to navigate around? How how straightforward is it for them to do what you want them to do, which is buy something, spend their money? Um, are they are they having a, a good time when when they're on your website? Is it easy to use? Can they learn things? Is it fun? Does it look nice, easy on the eye? All these kind of things. So that's um you know that's the first point. And then obviously um, what you're talking about is customer service. So at the end of the day. Much like a hospitality business, much, much like a hospitality business, very similar. You just need to look after all of your guests. You need to you need to treat them like kings and queens. So that means going out of your way to make them happy. So we have, a, um, I guess, the biggest pillar for us as an online business, an online wine business, when we're talking about this kind of thing, is something that we refer to as our happiness guarantee. If you buy a bottle of wine from us that you are not happy with, you, you didn't drink it, you didn't like it for whatever reason – you can let us know and we'll replace that bottle free of charge, no questions asked. And I think that's a massive, massive play. I don't know of any other wine businesses who are doing that, but we – we make that commitment to all of our all of our subscribers, all of our guests, everyone who comes to our business and buys a bottle of wine. We stand behind everything that we sell, and we're super confident that we can recommend a great bottle to you. That if you don't like it, then we're going to replace it free of charge. So that just that hopefully gives um, anyone who's who's buying from us the peace of mind that. That the bottle they're going to buy, either they're going to love it, or if they don't, they're going to get another bottle that they do. So that's a big part of looking after our guests and
0: getting people over the line as well. I guess to, to feel confident.
1: Absolutely, sure. absolutely. You know. And then that, what about in the really box
0: and making sure that you know the box looks nice and a little cheeky something in there, a little gift or a little you know, it's not tissue paper. You know, a tissue paper is great. We you know, when we do hampers, we just put tissue paper in there and a little handwritten note or whatever. All these little things add to the service, right?
1: 100 percent, 100 percent. So we uh, we refer to it as surprise and delight. Um, up up until the point where people opening the box from you the only interaction that they've had with you is is through the website or through the app they might have sent an email and got an email back from it but they haven't actually touched your um haven't haven't touched the goods they've interacted with the product you know they've they've done stuff on the website but they haven't they haven't seen it they haven't touched it they haven't felt it so obviously we need the box to get to um whoever we're sending it to in good condition so we have Long, long discussions with Australia Post, Fastway, Couriers, Couriers Please—you know—all of these companies that we that, that we deal with to to handle our boxes. We want to make sure it gets to people in good time and in perfect condition. And then, as you say, once it gets there, there's that there's that moment, and you only you only get it once. It's that moment when they receive the box and they open it up. What do they see? How does it look? How does it feel? Um, again, it's down to down to the colours. It's down to how it's laid out. It's down to Putting putting little things in the boxes. You touched on little gifts. You know that's a big part of what we do. You know there's um you know we have a whole. Um a whole system basically that's built into our subscription service um, and it's a point system. It's almost like a little game. So as people progress along their subscription journey, they get points for doing certain things like rating bottles or sharing posts on social media or answering quizzes or things like that. And they, they get a certain number of points and when they when they hit certain point thresholds and they get a free little gift. So we've got, um, you know, we were talking about uh, merchandise before. We've got um, company branded uh, bottle openers, wine sleeves, champagne stoppers uh travel mugs you know all sorts of different things that people can accrue as long as they're they're gaining points with us and so these little gifts really help to um to tie people to our brand and we we think it's a nice little a nice little add-on so they're getting it they don't necessarily know about it sometimes another thing we do is we include a free bottle of sparkly wine in the month of people's birthday so when people sign up they obviously have to put in their birthday so that we know they're over 18 (laughs) so we then have their birthday captured uh and in, in the month of their their birthday if they're getting a box from us they get a free bottle of wine we don't tell them about it when they sign up and that's another way that we try and surprise and delight people and make them, you know, make them happy and make them think that what we're doing is something fantastic.
0: Exactly. And creating that, creating that relationship, right? Creating that relationship is key. And then the other great thing about online businesses is the fact that you, once you've got them, you know ultimately you've got the email address there's a lot of things you can do behind the scenes to track them retarget to them look alike audiences pixels there's a lot of things you can do once you get into that world to to get more customers and also a blog these kind of things and you can just re even if they stop subscribing for you for a period of time you can get back in front of them quite easily
1: 100 percent. you know and that's um you know that's what we were talking about before with Facebook marketing and, and Google Analytics, you're able to, um, you know, for better or for worse, we capture <laughs> a lot, a lot of data about people, and that's just um, that's the reality of the modern world. When you're online, if you don't know that everything that you're doing is being tracked by a whole host of different businesses, then unfortunately you're a little bit naive. And generally um,
0: all the top businesses, right? The, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons, they're the ones that are tracking everything. And that's where they make a lot of their money, right? It, it is exactly by that, by doing that. And now it's filtering through and small businesses are, are jumping onto that. And you, everyone needs to start thinking about that and, and getting on it as well whilst you can. It, ultimately, it's the wild, wild west of the, of the internet. And it's gonna, over time, that will fade away. But right now it's it's a it's a land grab, right?
1: A hundred percent. And you know, in in my mind it's it's similar but slightly different to the way that top restaurants in the hospitality industry track guest preferences. Before I, I owned hospitality businesses, I uh, I managed a great restaurant called Attica and we would go to extreme lengths to record diners' preferences. So, you know, after people had come in a couple of times, we would start making notes about them, what they had for their first drink. Obviously we, we already know their dietaries, you know, are they left handed when their birthday is, certain proteins that they do or they don't like eating, you know, are they going away on holidays somewhere? You know, we just try and get all this information about them and we record that, we would put that into our booking system and then, you know, it, we use that information to try and make their their next experience with us a bit better. That was open mind,
0: table, that, wasn't it? That was open table back in the day,
1: right? Exactly right, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, for my mind – what online businesses are doing is exactly the same as that. It's just taking it a degree further. So you're capturing all this information about people and you're using it in a way to, as you say, either retarget your product to them or if you're they're already a customer, you can refine your product and hopefully um, upsell them essentially. Beautiful. So –
0: well, listen, yeah. I'm, I said to myself, I want to keep these sh- less than an hour because sometimes I go on. I could talk about this stuff all day long. Honestly, Banjo. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. And I know I, I end up taking everyone's too much of everyone's time. The people listening and the, the guests and everyone's like, "Will you just shut up. So I think that's a good way to, to, a lot of information. I much appreciate you sharing all your knowledge. And hopefully some people can listen to this and take some tips and, and implement some of them things. And, and you know, it might help them moving forward in 2020
1: absolutely it's uh it's going to be a wild old time in 2021 but i I, i'm so excited by it me too Um, me too i think i think the best places are just just going to get better as they add new strings to their bow new New opportunities. Yes, restaurants will change. You shouldn't be afraid of change because you can still still keep the the heart and soul of hospitality, but just uh, just offer new ways to express it. So it's going to be brilliant, I think. And it's me too. Stay and positive. I,
0: and I really feel like we're going to back Australia, and I'm in Melbourne, so I've got my finger about a bit more on the pulse in Melbourne. But I feel like we're going to bounce back strong. I do. I think people will support us. I think people will realise that the importance of hospitality. I think that people realise that when you when it's a wedding anniversary, you go to, to for meals. When it when you're celebrating, you go out for dinner. You know all these kind of things. Building brand you, now, people are going to really be aware of building brand. Hopefully, building a strong business to have money reserved. Maybe prices will go up, things will change, and and overall, will people will start respecting the industry? Maybe not that they didn't respect it, but people will start appreciating it that little bit more as well as the arts and hopefully moving forward into 2021 2022 people really start appreciating it appreciating for what it is
1: 100 percent 100 percent
0: banjo thank you very much for your time thank you very much for your knowledge and um yeah good luck and i'll speak to you soon
1: real pleasure Robbie. always Take nice care. to chat speak soon bye, a mate. Bye, bye. bye that's all folks